Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Do it a little faster. <laughs> you still got it. <laughs> it's your girl Shanti. And it's Antoinette. And we are Around, Around the, the Way Curls. Join us as we share our unique life experiences, aka tell all our business, and explore both the profound and the profane. Because duality, duality is, is a thing. thing. Yes, I. Hey, girl. Hey. Hi. Welcome to another episode of Around the Way Curls. My name is Shanti and my name is Antoinette. We're very happy to have you all listen. As if you're a new listener, welcome to the best time you never knew you needed. All right now. Come on. Um, I painted my walls. I finally committed to it. Not that one. That's still fucked up. <laughs> I was about to say, girl, if you're a Patreon. That one, somebody was like, Shanti, when you, uh, <laughs> but also people have been DMing me and asking me about it. And I, I did it. It was very therapeutic. I, um, you first of all, buying it to me. paint is expensive. Oh, the yeah. fuck? Benjamin the brushes. Moore? The yeah. nerve of them. But I bought Send a, me the pictures will, of it. I will. I bought a whole gallon. And uh, I went to work last night. I did a poor job in some areas. I need to go over mm. it. But for Yikes. the most part, I did good. And I, it was it was a zone that I was in. I had my music playing. I made myself a little gin and tonic. Oh. And I did it. And me and Jolie are happy with the results. It's also helped me to, I have to keep getting rid of things. I have too many books. Mm. I have too many books <laughs> that I never read. I have so many books that I need to get rid of. Um, I'm feeling inspired to color code my books. I need to get some more storage because I have too many things everywhere. I don't know where to put them. And um, I need to get more picture frames. So these are my goals. Makes me feel good. Um, I have one plant that's very obnoxious and I don't know what to do with her. And did we talk about that on a podcast? So just having a plant that you don't really fuck with on the low. 
<laughs> I walk into that room, I'd be like, girl, you are doing too much. And she I know which nothing. plant you talk about. She ain't Stop doing it. nothing. Is that the plant that was gifted to you that was yeah, very nice? I told nice. my dad I like plants. He was like, say less. <laughs> I'm going to buy you a dinosaur fern. <laughs> it's about two and a Is half feet it's wide. It's, she is, she belongs on a porch. Not in my little she's, apartment. I don't have a big apartment. It's so big. It's so big. And she's drawing. Like, she's like, her energy is like Tasmanian devils. Like, <laughs> like, that's the energy that I get for her. And I'm like, oh, God, get out of my house. And, and she ain't do nothing. And I feel bad about it. Like, I'm talking you shit should. about a plant right now. <laughs> she, just, she just in there wanting to get some water, probably dehydrated. But um, that's what's going on. And I'm going to work on this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paint my room eventually. Mm. And then Antoinette invited me on a road trip. And I never knew that that was what I needed. I'm so excited for this possibility. And... You know, the reason that you're going, I don't know if you want to share it, but whether or not it manifests or not, we should still go. No, should... it's manifesting. We're going to don't Toronto, y'all. No, we're going to Masagua. Mm. Mm, said Doesn't that sound as sexy. I'm reconsidering. <laughs> I'm not going. It's Drop me off in Toronto. It's 45 minutes from there, but we'll stay in Toronto. We'll go to Toronto. Yeah. I hear the people are fine in Toronto. Girl, you about to find your man. Oh, my God. We on a prowl. Let's go. Manifest them. What you want? Say it now. Boom. Six three. Boom. What else? Oh. Uh kind. Funny. <laughs> skateboard. No. Come on, manifest. I don't want to be shallow. All right. <clears throat> what you want? What you want, that girl? I want him to be like what you need. That's what I want. I want a what you need type nigga. A little bit. I this is this is not what this conversation was going to turn into. My heart's beating. I need therapy Your first heart. before I. <laughs> what? My heart's beating. What is? What kind of man? I don't know. I, that's. I'm not going to Toronto for the niggas. That all the people are pretty there. Apparently, I hear. I hear it's just a beautiful, diverse. Because they're all city. Caribbean baddies. And the food's mm. bussing. Mm-hmm. And um. How long are we staying? We're gonna drive. It's an eight-hour drive, y'all. We driving up. I'm sure Shanti will get on live. You never need to get on live again <laughs> after last weekend. The people enjoyed it. I was it. like, can we please get on Tate's that bossy time? stuff. Me and Amanda were like, wait a minute. Why is she telling us? <laughs> you I'm asked done. Me and I, FaceTime me I now. Saved the we're night. done. No, because y'all started talking about stuff that you shouldn't talk about in the house, in the person's house you were at. And I was like, this is over. Live is done. You're, you're both done. The way we're right. censored. The way this system got us by our balls. Listen. Yep. Hate it here. And does. Oh, I sound like Mandy. And does. Um, Were those your updates, Queen? Yeah. All right. Well, you took one of my updates. We're going on a road trip. I'm, I can't wait. I'm finna get my hair cut. And I ain't telling y'all who's cutting it until uh -oh, gatekeeping. I get it cut. I'm a gate. Yeah, I'm a gatekeeper on this one for a little bit. Wow. Um, people don't like I that. Can't, I, I'm sorry. I'll matter. tell y'all when I get it done. No, Damn. Right, my, Gotta make sure my experience was good before I'm shouting them out. Word. I still haven't found a therapist and I need one. Mm -hmm. Me too. There's no update there. <laughs> I just know that I need one because I'm nuts. Chronically unwell. 
before listen period came it's it's it well it's not here yet it's about to come and my blood is about upon me and i'm losing it i'm losing it i'm losing it every day little by little by little so i don't know if a therapist can help me out with that (laughs) (laughs) but i hope i hope said therapist will um but i'm gonna start looking again anywho voicemails we got voicemails y'all and we're gonna get into them because i can't remember them all the way but i think some of them were very good let's go hey it's justin calling from atlanta just want to call the hey to my bushanti and i'm calling my episode 326 um <laughs> uh first of all i love the way internet cakes for like the people she really cares about and really loves like beyonce Joseph Robinette, love the way Shanti cakes for Wendy Williams. I can't think of anybody else she cakes for like that, but Wendy, Wendy Williams, I know she cakes for her all. Wendy. But, you know, I just I just want to call and say, you know, hey to my boo. Um, and also, I have a question for you guys. Since I know, I think Shanti gave up on Walking Dead and I entered that finished it, I would love to know who are you in The Walking Dead? What character best uh, represents you? Okay. Ooh, what character represents you in The Walking Dead? I think we should answer for each other. I, baby girl, I don't remember, dog. How you don't remember? God damn it! God damn it! Got one goddamn job. Um, How we got a p- podcast is supposed to be a little bit about pop culture, and neither one of us know shit about pop culture. You remember? Who would you say? You, you I, this all on you for me? Yeah. I think I'm annoying. I think I'm Rick. <laughs> I think I'm Rick. You think you're Rick. I think I'm annoying and take it over. First of all, did you realize how Rick would go into different people's communities and just take it over like it was his and be telling everybody what to do? And then thought that he was right all the damn time and was also doing weird shit like, no, we can't kill him. We've got to yada, yada, yada. And then would learn that he need to kill him and end up killing him. Rick was annoying. But Rick was also strong, and he held folks together. Yeah, Rick was in. I'm definitely Rick now. I don't remember. I Um, apologize. I gotta. I gotta have a little refresh. Who are you? You are. I think you're Maggie. Do you remember Maggie? Yeah, Glenn. Glenn's boo. Yeah, I think you're. You don't know what happened with Maggie. Mm, Cause you ain't finished, y'all. Y'all, I'd like to know who y'all think Shanti is and who I am on The Walking Dead. If you've watched The Walking Dead, I feel you are Maggie. Why? Or one of the Walking Dead. Why, <laughs> Why Maggie? What you do? I'm not telling you because you, you ain't have to give it. some well, insight, Antoinette. You can't just say that. Please don't talk to me like that. I'm just Maggie. Saying. Maggie was. Remember how she got with Glenn? How she was kind of like. I like you, but I don't like you. I'm not really claiming you, but I'm claiming you. But you better treat me right. But also, I ain't really fucking with you. If you want to have sex in the barn, we could do that. She was a little bit secretive in the beginning. And then she opened up and she was all for the love. She had the baby, Herschel. She was very protective of said baby. She ended up being a bomb-ass, badass bitch that was holding down her own village of people okay maggie 
Yeah, man. They had a biracial baby. They had a little Asian baby. Mm-hmm. Herschel. Herschel. Why they named that? Oh, the father. I was about to say, why would they name that baby that? <laughs> <laughs> I think you could be Maggie. All right, I'm Maggie. Where I can't. I I really want to be Carol, but I'm not. Carol. No. Who would be Carol? I want to be Carol. You could also maybe be Daryl, but you're not good in the outdoors like that. Huh? But you you could go solo the way he did. So you you didn't see Daryl. Daryl was a redneck to the core. I, he I, was if all he was I would love Daryl. I'd be like Daryl, you and me. I'm sticking beside you. You gonna hold me mm. down? Mm. Heard you, Queen. I'm not mad at Dar- the, the the choice of Daryl. If I had a choice of somebody to get with, I mean Rick, of course. Uh, Rick is annoying, and I don't think Rick. You would think Rick, Rick have been a good down? lover? Yeah, you think Rick? Let's see. Down? You know who would have been a good lover? His best who? friend, Shane. Oh, Shane was Shane was that nigga <laughs> on the low though. I would kind of want somebody protective and crazy over me, like Shane. I'd be like, yes, <laughs> Alpha. You better fight to the death for me. And you know, Shane was putting it down. Shane was Could definitely you putting it down better the than best Rick. Sex with Shane, and then Rick come back, and you like, oh shit. <laughs> God damn. Fucking was on. And that was definitely Shane's baby. That was not Rick's baby. Mm. 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 She just you just gonna let somebody bust in you while there's an apocalypse dog? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she like fuck it. I would not. Like, I'd be like, it. we cannot bring a child into this world. Like, please pull out. <laughs> you just gonna let the somebody come in. <laughs> please pull out. But we being stupid though to think that the only way people get pregnant is if people come inside them. Pre come is a thing, everybody. Save sex, yay! Um, you know who else though? You said it before, and I feel like um, I I kind of chewed you out for it, but you were right. Negan, Negan, yeah, Negan would become not as much a good shame, lover. Though. He yeah. would become a good lover, like steady. a soul. He would learn lover. you. Yeah, mm, I feel like he, Shane yeah. would just be a good lover off technique and sight, and he probably got a nice size yeah. joint. Whereas <laughs> Negan, y'all doing love, y'all going, y'all astral plane, mm-hmm. and once y'all lock in, <laughs> yeah, once you lock in, you good. Ooh. Negan choking you a little bit, looking at you, yeah, and looking at you like you my uh-huh. bitch, like I love you. Wow. Ooh. Not me. Getting some insight into Shanti. That <laughs> <laughs> oh, just God. heard it. It was like, oh. <laughs> okay. Megan. Moving right along. Ready? I had to clear my throat. But hello. Um, not gonna say my name. So I listened to the podcast today and y'all was talking about Philly, about how Philly has the biggest outbreak of uh syphilis or whatever. I just wanna say, I'm from Baltimore. And I met somebody who used to live in Philly or he'd be going back and forth between the two. Like he lived in Baltimore, but he got family in Philly and he'd go out there all the time or whatever. Um, that man gave me syphilis as well. And I just found out like, well, I found out a little while ago. Um, I didn't tell him because I feel like I shouldn't have to. Like I know where I got it from. And if you sitting here burning and okay, that's your business, not mine. And honestly, I'm right here. I never get notifications because you burn me, bitch. Um, oh, I just said a B word, but you burnt me, you feel me? So, um, yeah, I just want to say it is very much so real. Them silly dudes is burning like a mofo, and 
before I had a scare and I told him we should go get checked. He was talking about doing it online and doing all these extra things. And, you know, this is Baltimore. You can easily go get checked in like three or four locations for free. Um, so I never understood what the problem was. That was like a red flag. So I got that test. And after I got done with that test, um, you know, I kind of just didn't trust it. So I went to my actual doctor. And by the time I went to my actual doctor, the health department called me the day I went to the actual doctor and told me that I had syphilis. So when I went to my, my real doctor, I, um, you know, I told them that the health department told me blase, blase, got tested again. Of course, I still had it, even though, like, I had went and got the medicine, but I hadn't taken it because, you know, literally that same day. So I got the medicine, went to my doctor's home, and didn't take the medicine, but started the medicine after my doctor's appointment. And, um, yeah, it's just a mess, which, honestly, nope, I'm lying. It wasn't even medicine. It was two shots. They hurt, which, you know, I got it. <sighs> I'm kind of skinny, so they told me that if you weigh under a certain amount and you don't got a lot of fat on you, it hurts. That shit hurts so bad. So, um, yeah, I'm just telling you, yeah, y'all was for real. Don't touch nothing in Philly. It's not worth it. And, um, yeah, get up out of Philly, Sancy, because it ain't nothing there but burning Men. All right. Thank you. Love y'all. Play my message, please. Love y'all. Love y'all. Love y'all. Okay, bye. Aw. I'm so sorry. That's horrible. That's terrible. The betrayal, the vulnerability to just open your legs to somebody, the nut shit, the lack of accountability or courage. Girl, you better tell him. You better text him and be like, "That's that's what I was thinking." You, you better tell cause, him. Because the thing is, it, I what I know that like we assume people like, "Oh, you knew you like you knew you had this," but so many people don't have symptoms from this stuff. So not everybody does. Especially, I'm not caping at all because he might have known. But especially men, like, oftentimes they do not have symptoms, which is so annoying because they just they they're just so out of super touch spreaders. with their bodies. You know, they're all too. sick and fucked up, but they just ignore it. I'm sorry, baby girl. I'm glad that you're clean. I'm taking heed. God damn. Scary. Yeah, that makes me sad. I'm glad that you're okay. but And thank you for the courage to even call and leave that message because I think, listen, we hear the statistics and we don't think it applies to us until it does. So this this is a reminder of everyone to go and get your STD screenings and your annual gynecological exams and men go get your STD screening go get your I don't know what men get do men get Penis their penises exams. checked <laughs> did you just make that up it's the way you said it penile it examinations real? okay your reproductive tests okay I can't tell if you're looking at me or looking like into the ether. Are you asleep? <laughs> <laughs> like you're not looking at me, right? What were you just looking I'm at? I'm looking at the at the outline. I'm also oh. cock out a little bit. Don't bring it up. <laughs> you were like this. Isn't it weird to record and not look at me? Like not look at the person. I'm looking at you right now. Does it look like I'm looking at you? Now it does, because I see the the anger behind <laughs> your eyes. <laughs> I see the frustration and annoyance. 
so clearly. Before it was just this, this you know, kind of evergreen gaze. I was now tapped I'm out. I was at my high yeah. disassociative. It was almost <laughs> pleasurable how disassociated I was. <laughs> I can tell. I was like, mm, she's she? gone. Are you here? <laughs> Oh, that felt good. All right. Last voicemail, kids. Hey, ladies. Um, I have a quick Philly-related question. I don't want to leave my name just in case. Um, so I am from Philly, but I'm living in L.A., and I met a guy who was from Philly. And um, we're not dating anymore. It was a really bad situation, but a lot of times when I did something – he didn't like um i noticed that he would say like see that's that philly girl shit like that's that philly girl stuff that i'd be talking about and in hindsight yes it was probably used to like manipulate me or probably just irritate me but i want to know from your point of view do you think we as women from philly have certain isms has a guy ever told you that before um and also the petty in me wants to know what are some isms that guys from Philly have that you may have noticed dating um, dating anybody from anywhere else. So, um, yes, let me know. Love the pod. And I hope you guys answer my question. Mm. You want me to go? They got syphilis, <laughs> girl. <laughs> Philly so men are highly defensive, mm. highly insecure and because of the ways in which they think the world is against them, but they're also like underachieving in a lot of ways and then are insecure and they become defensive. And so there's this loop of like, which incites gaslighting, which incites them, you know, um, just, they're just so defensive, so defensive that it's um it's almost impossible to get through or to like to like resolve because it's never like mm. a complete accountability is never like um really seeing themselves and philly girls are aggressive direct to the point not aggressive but there is a directness and a protectiveness that we have that I don't know, calls it out or like aggravates them somehow. Like we're in this dysfunctional relationship some way that like we also know that we're under, we may be um, dealing with something that we shouldn't be, but like we also want to see this potential in this person. I don't know, child, don't give me the psychology of Philly relationships because it could be an episode now that I'm actually thinking about it. But uh that's my take philly Antoinette i think that dealt with philly nigga Antoinette has a what when was the last time you dealt with a philly nigga my the last person i was in a relationship with which was eight years ago oh no i i dated somebody else from philly after that Wait, Did you hook me mm-hmm. up with mm-hmm. at which who fits <laughs> highly that? defensive fits that <laughs> highly defensive um Philly men don't do what they say they're going to do. And that triggers the hell out of Philly women who are then like, I got it. I don't need you. You are not needed. You are disposable. Fuck it. I'm a savage. 
And then Philly men are like, oh, all right, I'm disposable, so I'll be that. Because you don't show up at all. Mm-hmm. And then the Philly girl is like, well, neither do you. Yeah, there's no and softness And then they just continue, me. continue. Yeah. Right. There's no softness and there's no, like, humanity. And women can't, they, I, I, I would, can't trust you to be soft. Like, why am I going to put, like, you're not going to catch me. You don't got my back. Both sides, though. Men are like, I, I can't trust you. Yeah. For me to be soft. Yeah. And you can't trust me to show up. For you to be soft. Is that a Philly thing or just like a general? uh... Maybe. But it's so prevalent. I think it's so prevalent in Philly. Again, we talked about Philly before, how it's this underdog, we all we got. But that underachiever thing is very prevalent there. And there's almost a pride, to not a pride to it. It's like a, I'm constantly, I'm out the mud. I'm climbing, I'm climbing. We out the mud. me against the world. You know, me against the world. I'm still that. That uh, what do he say? What Meek say? I'm still the nappy headed, whatever he said, oh. with the with the nappy braids, the lock. Like he's still the dude on, yeah, you know, Burke Street. Yeah, but you're not Meek, and you don't need to be. You're in private, and you don't need to be. What if you weren't anymore? Yeah, could you stop? So please? it's so it's yeah. So it's interesting. Um, that's a Philly the, shit. The that's Philly such a Philly nigga thing to say. That's to. that Philly shit. Absolutely. <laughs> So dismissive. Because it don't mean nothing either. It's like, well, what does that mean? And it just, you know, you want that Philly shit. And it's like, can you define what that Philly shit is so we can move past it? And they're like, nah. I would love for a person that, a man that's not from Philly, who has dated a Philly girl to describe what a Philly girlism is and vice versa. Because I think we're, I may be too close and entangled with Philly niggas to be like objective. But that's curious. That's that's curious. Great question. So I love that. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, if you too have a question or an answer or a comment, please give us a call at 215-948-2780. That's 215-948-2780. Okay. All right. We're going to take a break and we have a really wonderful discussion ahead of us. So... After these messages, we'll be right back. (sighs) (laughs) Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Joe is crazy. <laughs> and we are back. And I'm very excited to sit down and chat with this guest. It's a listener turned guest because the community is strong as fuck. Okay. <laughs> um, this guest sent us a lovely email about restorative justice that was just so succinct. And you just sound like you know what you were talking about. So we made sure to reach out to you so that we could just expound on this topic. So today we are sitting with Marquise Davon Richards. Come on now, Davon. <laughs> Marquise is a Philly-based 
passionate educator, podcaster, and activist. He is the host of the award-winning Keeping It a Bean podcast that brings together conversation and community over coffee. What a cute name. I just put that together and I'm obsessed. (laughs) He also hosts Due Diligence, a live music dissection event dedicated to local Philly artists. Marquise has a deep-rooted belief in the power of education to transform lives. He has developed a black masculinity seminar that brings together feminist thought, social emotional learning, and personal development skills for young boys and men. His particular passion is for prison abolition, educational justice, and pushes for harm reduction within the black community. He is the recipient of Color of Changes Chinua Achebe Storytelling Award for his work in education and use of podcasting as an avenue to incite change. Lastly, Marquise is a proud left-handed Virgo, (laughs) self-described archivist of the beehive, and lover of coffee that tries to bring a smile to one person a day. That is a... I got to work on my bio because that thing is strong. My bio sucks. (laughs) Shocky lives in Philadelphia with her daughter. (laughs) Welcome. Marquise, I feel like... You and I were talking on Twitter, right? Yes. This, this is how this came to be. And I was like, what you, he was talking a good talk. I keep trying to, can you help me try to get Shanti on Twitter? I keep <laughs> Wait, telling her that's where all so the content is. Twitter. Oh I gosh. don't know how to use it. I don't understand who's talking, who's responding. I will try. I will push my brain to do it. My 40 year old brain. brain. can easily figure it out. It is a, you're missing out on a lot. And I hate Twitter because of Elon Musk. But anyway. Go It'll ahead. Be fine. Shanti's random thoughts. Like, just stuff that you can talk random. about and then you just tweet them. Why <laughs> Do you ever wonder? Anyway, thanks so much for being here. And like I, you know, um, introed you on, we really do want to talk about restorative justice mm-hmm. and um, how to apply it in our daily lives, what it means, um, what the possibilities are. So to anchor and ground the conversation, let's just ask, <clears throat> ask this question. What is restorative justice? Yeah. Um, So restorative justice, it's essentially like a framework that reframes how we look at punishment. Right. And so it just allows us to kind of think around what does restoration look like and kind of rehabilitation as a way to solve conflict or any harm that is caused. And so instead of saying you're punished, it's punitive, punitive, let's actually have a conversation and actually build out a solution together. So that's the kind of like a short and succinct version of what restorative justice is in a definition. How does this connect to abolition work? Like, also, I want to be very clear and very honest. My understanding of abolitionists is very antiquated. It's the motherfuckers that wanted to, you know, end slavery back in the day versus Mm -hmm. this very nuanced, very alive and active and just as as important theory and um, movement that's happening. Mm -hmm. So what restorative justice connects to the abolitionist thought is because abolition requires us to interrogate systems and kind of ask this question why a couple of times is how I like to always describe it. And so how do we take the issue from the root? And so when it comes to abolition, it's just saying like, hey, this thing that we say is supposed to have worked for so long is not working and we're only treating the symptoms. We're not actually targeting like what is the root of the issue. And so an example I always use is like a child who is hungry in school and not performing well, right? Mm -hmm. And so why is this child not performing well? 
Well, this child did not eat today. Why didn't this child eat today? Well, they live in the middle of a food desert. Why do they live in the middle of a food desert? What can then the government do to solve this issue? And so we notice how the root issue is actually this child is hungry, but there's a systemic issue at the root of it. And that is what is now impacting his ability to perform as well as possible in school, whatever the case may be, right? Um, and so I hope that kind of leads into like this idea of abolition, which is just like, yo, we need to think more intentionally around solving the root rather than just putting band-aids over um, the different symptoms that pop up. I think um, the idea of um, abolition was very big during the George Floyd mm -hmm. 2021 um, murder. And everybody's like, you know, stop the what what was this goddamn defund saying? The police. You know, defund the police, right? And yeah. there is this this I think rather huge jump that people's brains, their minds just kind of like exploded of like defund the yeah. police. Like what the what fuck? What do you mean? How is that even possible? Mm -hmm. Um Yeah, so is that yeah. it, because it's even now, even in my mind, it means that prison systems, police mm -hmm. are gone. Right. Is that the goal? Is that is is uprooting like the idea of pulling it up by the root, completely getting rid of those systems that are so harmful and fucked up? Essentially, yes. And <laughs> I always add like the caveat of just like, what does it look like for us to get there? Because blowing up a system means that we need to all be bought into like doing to work to like reimagine something new. And so, yes, part of it is having like a very radical imagination. And the other piece is when it comes to abolition is like, hey, are people who go to prison, are they actually rehabilitated or are we just removing them from society for a little bit so that harm doesn't get caused? And then we put them right back to do the exact same thing. Right. And so what work is being done while they are there to ensure that it's more of a preventative measure rather than a reactionary measure? And right now, most times prison and police, they come after the harm is done. But what can we do to create systems that will prevent the harm? And so is that ensuring that people have jobs when they get out? Right. Is this ensuring that while you're here, you can also get a degree potentially or get something that caused you to do this harm or do this crime? Um, and then build out from there. And so oftentimes we look at prison and we're just like, this is the only way we can do this. And a human and everybody is like, prison should be a symbol of safety for community, right? And that's what people mm. associate it with. But oftentimes when we see what's going on within the prisons, there's still more harm happening there. People get out and people are not changing. We look at recidivism rates and those are still through the roof. And that's even like a larger definition of what recidivism is. And so when you look at the entirety of the prison system, how often are people actually going back to prison? How often are people actually creating like a positive change after they experience this thing? And then how do they become productive members of society and repair harm that was done to either a single person or that impacts a community or impacts themselves? And that's the piece that prison tends to miss, which is where prison abolitionists tend to come in and they're just like, this is grossly punitive. So how do we prevent rather than react, if that makes more sense? Yeah. Can I ask you, when it comes mm -hmm. to this specifically, when it comes to prison, I have a couple of questions here. Mm -hmm. I've, I've brought this up to people in my life and pe there's, a, there's some people in my life who don't have 
much access to things mm-hmm. um like family members yeah they don't have access they're a lot of them are poor a lot of mm-hmm. them um feel that if we do offer all of these um programs for folks who have committed crimes or been found guilty of committing mm-hmm. crimes let's be very clear that it's unfair that their taxpayer dollars are going towards that when they don't feel like they even have that access right yeah. and so it becomes this you know you fucked up you're discarded of kind of situation mm-hmm. And I, I guess this is where the reimagining comes in because yeah. it doesn't stop at just the prison system, but also the constructs in which we live in. I guess my question to you is, what would you say to someone who feels that way and who's very much in that position, seemingly? Yeah. Um, non-minority and, you know, white, poor male mm-hmm. who's like, oh, no, they come in for out my stuff. What would you say to that person? And then I'd also love to know, what is the reimagining? Mm-hmm. Like we talk about the reimagining, like we have to imagine something else. What are we imagining? What are we imagining? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's super valid. And so when I look at like if it is a cishet white male talking around like why am I putting money into like ensuring that these people are um getting these services and I should not pay for them, like we should be punitive. In reality, you're still funding these prisons a lot of the times. Mm-hmm. You're still f- like that's where your tax pay your dollars are going but you also assumingly want to live in a safer society right a just society Mm -hmm. uh, somewhere where the family can be one and stable so this thing doesn't happen again and so the investment into those who are most marginalized and have their rights taken away is actually an investment in a stronger economy if they want to just talk simply money and we shouldn't do that right because people are more than just money but that's what white people respond to sometimes (laughs) to reality but then it's also more safety right that occurs as well in their white imagination of this thing right and if you're always trying to take 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 how much do you actually care about the human next to you how much are you actually invested in the next generation because the reality is what happens when your family member experiences the thing you're going to want them to have the exact same kind of benefits right and so i think I struggle with this because I'm also not in the mode of like convincing white people to acknowledge our humanity. And I also recognize that these are the people who are in positions of power to ensure that some of this change can happen because they are sitting on these boards. They are the ones who are privately funding these spaces and stuff like that too. And so it's like a, sadly a both and situation um, of like, nah, this is actually a benefit to even your poor white cousin that you don't like to imagine exist. And this is also another opportunity for us to genuinely invest in building community and you can have a positive impact that way too. Okay. Yeah. What is the imagining? What does it look like? Yeah. Um, the suburbs. <laughs> <laughs> it looks oh, like the shit. suburbs. <laughs> and so think oh, around. <laughs> what do you mean? Look at all the resources that are poured into suburban areas that are poured in suburban schools. And you really look at that and all these white people, they got mad stuff. I'm just like, oh, so y'all have your driveways. Um, you have access to different areas of food. Your schools are all fully resourced and funded as well. Mm. And so when you really look at like where the outskirts are happening in the suburban communities, in there, there's less explicit crime happening that we tend to criminalize. But they, are, they have spaces to go get healthy food options. They have spaces to have mental health facilities. They do have access to... Um, neighbors, they have access to capital and people that they can be readily near. And so I think that's the access piece. So to me, whenever I look at it, I'm just like, 
yes, give me the, I'm gonna stay in the hood, but like, give me the resources that come with living in the suburbs. And so sometimes give I just kind of say- fundamental quality of life, like a, that you a also higher have. quality of life. Yeah. And so for me, that's what like a very simple reimagining actually looks like is just equity and resources. So if we're staying out in the suburbs, right. Mm -hmm. And you have like my, the question that I always tend to stumble upon with this, maybe even in my own thoughts Mm -hmm. is where do we draw the line with restoration? Right. And is there a line, Mm -hmm. right? It, does everyone have the same line collectively? How do we get there? And because I'm thinking about, you know, some of these suburban white spaces um, that have means, mm-hmm. and then you might have a school shooter. Every time this this person had all the resources, all the everything, seemingly right, but obviously right. there was something lacking. There was right. something that they were without. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in spaces like that, you know, we just had the mother who was brought up on charges because Crazy. her she was n- neglectful. She was yeah. found criminally neglectful when it came to, I forget the the kid's name, who shot up the, the, the space, I believe, in Michigan, mm-hmm. the school, and killed, I think, three classmates, four classmates. Horrible. Can that person be restored? So... From that framework, yes, that person should be able to be restored because they have the resources or we can put the means so it does not happen again. So the restoration to me feels like a preventative measure rather. So this thing does not occur again. And the other piece is that that person also no longer needs to be in that community either, right? Unless the community is able to accept him back in and have this level Mm. of forgiveness. But that is also dependent upon the families. I think a lot of times people think that it needs to be, everybody's like, kumbaya by the end of this. No, honestly, at the end of this, what I want, what restoration looks like to me is that this thing doesn't happen again, right? Mm -hmm. That I don't need to be in community with him, but I need to be able to trust that this thing can be prevented and this thing does not happen. Oftentimes they're just like, punish, punish, punish. Or the person who was harmed or the family that was harmed needs to like have a kumbaya come to Jesus moment. Nah, sometimes restoration looks like distance. Restoration actually does not mean you have to be invited back into community because the person who was harmed directly, that's their choice. That is not our choice to make up. We just provide support in whatever mm-hmm. way that wants. So often, I, because I always struggle like with the most egregious of things. And I know this kind of, it's my idea of like how transformative Hitler. justice can work. Yeah, no, Megan got to go. He got to go. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know? So, 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 the, so there's, there is a level of, no, my, this is irredeemable. This person has to go. Yeah, because I always say like, and I'll take it to a school, right? There is a person who is harmed within a school. And there is no reason that the person who caused this person harm should have to interact with you anymore, right? Right, so right, right, right. Yeah. And so when there is like an irredeemable thing that is going on, my part of transformative justice actually requires us to figure out like, nah, this person got to go somewhere. And if that means that this, and it's a small subset who do very violent and cruel things, right? Percentage wise. I'm sorry, them niggas got to go, right? So I'm, I'm, so I'm hearing, sorry, I, I, when I hear got to go, it means like you are not redeemable. But the baseline theory is that restoration is deeply rooted in compassion 
right? Compassion yes. for the person that did the harm, the p- compassion right. for the person that is harmed. No, they don't necessarily have to be in the same community around people, but the possibility and the work is towards their redemption. Correct. That all humans mm. are redeemable yes. from Hitler to the kid that smacked his friend in the face for stealing his truck. Right. Are their humanity gives them the the right to redemption and and is redemption is possible. Redemption can be possible, right? And that's mm. I use the Redemption can be possible. Now, Hitler, I'm just like, that was just wild. But I use the example of what happened <laughs> in <into> Rwanda. <laughs> it was wildin'. Yeah, wildin'. Right. Um, but I look at Rwanda, the Rwandan genocide. And so mm. they actually practiced this community court, right? And so you had both tribes that were fighting against each other. And one side, the Tutsis, was like murking people left and right. Mm-hmm. But once they realized like, oh, we need to come back together because we have to live with the people who caused this harm. They actually created a council of the community to say, hey, what does restoration look like? So they put every single person who caused the genocide into court, right? And then there were people who were just like, I forgive you for what you have done. You can stay in community with us. There are people who were like, actually, no, I cannot bang with that. And to me, that was wild when I first had learned of like how they restored community right because that is deep trauma you took families away you took children away and for you to say but we still have to live in the same space together we're all still Rwandan at the end of the day that's when in my mind I was just like okay so there is something around a communal care aspect and people have the ability to forgive very radically And to me, I'm like, I look at that situation a lot of time of just like a model of what communal restorative justice can look like. Um, But I don't think that everybody, I think everybody as a collective does not necessarily have to agree on like, here's the standard, but it does give space for those who are harmed to say, this is actually what I feel like is a logical consequence moving forward. And so that's the piece that I think about. Mark, can I say something? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Antoinette. You sure? Mm Mm-hmm. So I found this piece on the interwebs, mm-hmm. wagingnonviolence.org posted it. And it's restorative justice changed me. Um, every woman's worst nightmare changed me from being every woman's worst nightmare. So this is the person, the perpetrator saying this tears poured down my cheeks, hunched over on a plastic chair, elbows on knees. I buried my face in my hands. The group was silent. I had just shared the details of my crime robbery and sexual assault. I confess to being every woman's worst nightmare. Recounting these moments from years ago brought a resurgence of guilt and shame. I had been young, strung out, ruthless gang, uh, I had been a young, strung out, ruthless gang member with zero respect for women and had um, an accomplice to impress. The host of our group Mm. embraced me with a hug, her gentle hand rubbing my back. I'm proud of you, she whispered in my ear, validating my emotions and washing away years of crippling embarrassment. Mm -hmm. She was a sexual assault survivor. Mm -hmm. And then it goes on to talk about, he goes on to talk about how he was in a Bridges to Life 14-week restorative justice program within a prison. Um, And due to, sadly, 
COVID and things that all of the funding was cut, mm-hmm. um, but talks about what an amazing experience it was. And that he said that he became friends with women who experienced the opposing side of his worst actions. They didn't see him as a perpetrator. I didn't see them as victims. We began unsure of what to expect and ended as true friends. Mm. We built relationships, bonds that had a face, a name, hopes, dreams, and a purpose. We shared each other's pain. We laughed together, Mm. cried together, held each other, and understood. Mm-hmm. And so I was thinking about that as a sexual assault uh, survivor myself. And this is always my thing is like, I don't play with kids. Mm-hmm. If you sexually assault, molest, abuse a child, you got nothing from me unless you're a child. I mean, it's not that you can never have anything from me, but like if you don't take accountability and do some serious work, I can't fuck with you. And I probably will struggle with you regardless um i i looked at this and was like my initial reaction was what a burden this is on the victimized mm. that they seem to be the pathway for restorative justice yeah. and it it bothered me it bothered me so much it felt like when black women often say it's not my job to teach you white women about racism and mm-hmm. I sat there in myself and was like, I wish I would go to a fucking restorative justice circle and have a rapist look at me and I have to be their pathway towards like. Why does empathy come after uh, the harm is done? Yeah, like or or just their pathway towards yes. restoration, my offering of, you know understanding and humanizing them. And I was, I felt really guilty about that. It's like, whoa, you are actually a part of the problem. (laughs) You are actually one of the people who you're not humanizing these people in my mind. This is, these are the things that was just going through my head. And for me, I'm just like, that's a very human response. Like, I think you are so valid in feeling that. That's why I don't think like the harmed always need to be included in like being in space with those that caused the harm. Like I would never want to put you in a room with the person who did that to you, right? Because mm. that's particularly triggering for you. And do restorative justice is also faith, right? That we're putting into like the hope that this human will never do this thing again, right? Mm. And so the hard part about restorative justice and just from like a practicality and use lens is like, The framework requires both parties to be prepared to just lay out, this is what happened, right? After that is done, you then need to go through a validation process, right? Of like, yo, I did this thing. I need to take accountability and I need to be humble enough to know what is this thing that you are actually, what is the thing that you actually need from me? What does my logical Mm -hmm. consequence begin to look like? And that is a space that could be done with a third party if you feel safe enough to be with that person and just have that face-to-face conversation, right? And we see it play out in TV. Sometimes the the person who was harmed will just go up face-to-face and be like, why did you do that? I need an answer. Some people are just like, I never want to see this person again. Some people are just like, I just need my community to show up for me and not abandon me, right, in this moment. And so these are all different practices of what restoration could potentially look like. But at the end of this process, once both people are willing to either come to the conclusion or there's a third party who can help mediate so you don't actually have to ever see this person again, 
then you can say, here's what I would like to see. Restoration mm-hmm. allows the harmed to come to, here is a set of things that I need in order to feel safe, in order to feel comfortable. And or honestly, I just don't want to see this thing happen again. And so oftentimes, as I think around some of my close friends who have experienced this thing, they're just like, I just don't want this to happen to anybody else. I just don't want to see this person again, but I want to ensure like, I don't see this thing happen. And restorative justice is hard because it requires, it takes this idea of forgiveness. And so we try to put practicality to human emotion sometimes. And that's the hard part is just like, no, this changed my life drastically. That's not fair to me. Right. And so it's something I think around, even just like dealing with my own personal child abuse. That person to me is just like, I don't want to see this thing happen again. And I'm good off of, as long as it doesn't happen to any of my other siblings, as long as it doesn't happen to any future children, cool, but I don't need to be in community with this man. I have now released that to go somewhere else, but I absolutely do not have any desire to see this man again. I just don't want to see this Yeah, that feels key that, that they're not in community with you, but there right. is a community for them. Correct. But there somewhere is else. a community for them that goes to the stem of what caused them to become abusers or yes. to be to, to to cause the harm because the reality I, is if I, we throw them away can they will they yeah. just continue to perpetuate over and over again and there's no community community there that be to hold them accountable and so i argue that the only way true restorative justice works is with those that you're in community with because I actually don't care about what Joe Schmo has to say on Twitter. I don't have a personal connection to you, which mm. means I don't feel shame around you, which means I don't feel guilt around you. Shame or guilt can be motivators of change. Well, more so mm. shame can be a motivator of change. Sometimes guilt can have the adverse effect. So I think those are two different modes of kind of understanding how humans work, but also on the other side of restoration means at least I want to change and I have the will to change. Mm. It feels like, and we talked about this before, you know, talking about the prison system feels Mm -hmm. like such a macro um, thing to manage, right? But it feels like it's in the the micro that so much of this, so much of the macro can be untangled. Mm -hmm. Um, I think about the beauty if restorative justice were taught in preschools all the way up to 12th grade, having young kids from a very young age learn how to manage harm and accountability and it it, it sounds like to me these really really difficult feelings of shame embarrassment fear rage Mm -hmm. like these really hard emotions yeah um but i also feel like this is impossible because our culture i mean you just think about what's going on think about 9-11 think about what's going on in in Israel right now, mm-hmm. you did this one thing and I'm going to f- demolish you. And I have yeah. every right to react in this way because you harmed me and the harm that I'm going to cause everyone else is now justified. And mm-hmm. I also connect it back to the country being, most religions being Judeo-Christian religions, being the, their God is so punishing, is so punitive. It's so like you do this you're going to hell forever. You understand yeah. me? <laughs> okay. Forever. Yeah. Like, yeah, that just feels, the, the culture of the, it's just everywhere yeah. that I don't, I, 
I, it, it feels hard to even try to apply this to our own yeah. lives. I, Do you have any guidance as to how, yeah. like even in friend groups, mm-hmm. you know, like, girl, you hurt my feelings. Yeah. You hurt my We're friend's teach- feelings. A lot of it this? is like uh, conflict resolution skills, to be honest. Like just niggas are not taught conflict resolution early on. No. And so um, in reality, being, I used to be a fifth grade teacher before I just, you know, I stayed my happy ass in high school after that because fifth graders are just <laughs> weird age. Um, nuts. They are different. <laughs> However, <laughs> I taught um, social emotional learning, right? And so in that we had to teach about um, trusting adults recognizing your own triggers, uh, emotional regulation, and then also building healthy relationships are kind of like the tenets of um, SEO. And so what I used to do is actually do simulations with my students, right? Um, Of just like, hey, let's go, let's walk through this fight that you just had. What was the source of your fight? Now, again, fifth graders are a little irrational. So they just don't like if you sit in their seat. (laughs) Okay. So they're just like, yo, I just don't want you sitting in my seat again. Right. (laughs) Um, And that (laughs) is just this. Um, But I also had a student who was just like, I told him to stop talking to me once. I asked him to stop talking to me twice. And then the third time, I just had to hit him, Mr. Richards. I don't want to tell you. Like, (laughs) and it happens. And I was like, well, there was a logical progression on how we got here. But what is a healthier way to like navigate this? And so, before it got to that point, would it have been smarter to go to a trusted adult? Before it got to that point, would it, you being able to express yourself differently may have done something. Now, granted, he said, please do it once, don't do it again. He gave him multiple warnings, right? And so that is also a practice of prevention that we don't always assign to kids. Um, however, if you just go through conflict resolution and we begin to embody this, and as adults, we model it, that will help students and kids be able to understand what this is a little bit more. And it's difficult, too, because I always say, like, as a teacher, when I say, hey, did I do something that bothered you? Was I too loud? Do you need a walk? Do you need to put your head down? Do you need food? That's very hard for kids to articulate their needs is because oftentimes they're coming from don't don't talk unless spoken to. This is just punitive, punitive, punishment, punishment. But for me, I'm sitting there just like, well, what do you need in this moment? And the kids are just like, what do you mean? What do I need in this moment? And I'm just like, mm. take time to process it, right? Because mm-hmm. this is also a brand new skill that none of us are, that we know. Restorative justice, SEL, all of these ideas around like emotional intelligence are brand new to our culture. And we're still trying to figure out and implement, but also recognize like, but the old ways also work that these kids are out of control. Um, but it, we're asking kids to self-actualize and understand what, consequence and restoration these are two different two different things that speak to each other um but we should not do punishment we should do restoration and as kids learn to language and see how adults interact with each other um they kind of just also use it as a sponge um and so i think around stuff like that of just like how often are we actually talking around conflict resolution me and my friends my best friend amanda um she was just like yeah marquise i don't like when um she was just like, I have not seen you since I moved out. <laughs> and that's making me feel a kind of way. And it's a very low level thing. But I was just like, oh, I didn't know that this is what you needed in order for you to feel like this friendship was being fulfilled. Right. And so it's a very minor thing. But just having that example of like, there was kind of a little friction going on. And sometimes she doesn't always articulate herself. And sometimes I'm just the man. I'm just like, oh, I'm sorry, girl. You should have just told me that. Like, just go from there. <laughs> but... um, 
being able to kind of express this, speaking in I, and then just saying, hey, this is all I need. It's a very simple thing. When this happens, I need this is kind of how we go about it. So long-winded, but I hope that that line no. of thinking actually made sense. It does. I, I'm Stuff is coming up for me where I'm like, oh, you you have work to do. Because I, I, I don't have any children. Mm-hmm. And I was uncomfortable with that scenario. <laughs> I was uncomfortable <laughs> with the scenario because of how I was taught. It's mm-hmm. like, if somebody messes with you, you need to get them back so like you need to avoid it. But if you are in a position where you can't avoid it, like if you are up against a bully, that bully needs to know that you are not to be played with. And that bully needs to be made an example out of. And so Mm -hmm. you come back stronger than you ever could 10 times harder than they did. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. But that's it. No, I'm dead ass. And that is what it is. That is literally how the, the way in which we talk about how do we embody what Israel is doing, what the United States Come is on. doing okay. and has done. Um, that is that was completely in my teaching. And and then I'm listening to you and I'm thinking like, well, as a parent, I would be terrified to say to only only arm my child with hear the language I'm using, arm my child, right, with go to a trusted adult. I don't yeah. trust adults. Yeah. You know, as a parent, what if you don't have a trusted adult? As a parent, I don't even have kids and I'm thinking like this. Sometimes you all you got. Yeah. But I also think around it, like listening to your episodes, though, you kind of already modeled this. I think around like, um, was it your godson? nephew my baby yeah and when you had shared that moment i was like you are a trusted adult and you have modeled it already because you're also you were affirming but sometimes even your presence is also preventative right yeah um i think also when yeah but do you i don't trust that it's a whole lot of us out there uh, but perhaps the thing is yes you may have to defend yourself but I think the most important thing is that the person that did the harm, mm-hmm. there's still work that should be done to the person that was in your face for a reason. Rather than you defending yourself and be like, this is never, never going to do it again. It's some curiosity and some empathy that I would, mm. and that may not be the kid, the, the kid that was hurts work to do, but yeah. it should be a concern like, yo, I don't want to help you. But you need fucking help. Like, because this but is there not normal. There needs to something's be a, wrong. There needs to be a presence of mind, I think, in the kid. Of like, a, what, a, yeah, even if awareness. I'm, yeah, an awareness of that. Like, even if you have to defend yourself, understand that this person is doing this for a reason. And then They're you can well. humanize the person in that yeah. way. Yeah. But we're skip. that's the step that we're skipping. And it's hard. I think that we're just like, people are bad. Yeah. And you yes. must defend yourself. And it's yes. interesting. I was just saying, like, you have to think around it. It was just like, most things that other people do to you has nothing to do with you. Child, and that on. is difficult. And, and <laughs> it's deep. And I, and I, and I will say, you. I, I think that, you said we're just learning this, but I think for most indigenous cultures, this is how they fucking move, bro. Every like time. they didn't need police and and shit. Like you had to count. I mean, of course, I'm romanticizing so much and like making shit up, but at the same time, I think Western colonial Judeo Christian has fu- Christianity has and Islam in a lot of ways has fucked us up, bro. Yeah. Dog, that's why I'm Judea- Does Islam count as Judeo Christian? Yes, right? 
Yes. I don't know. Child, I don't know. Child, don't get me wrong. <laughs> the, Hind- the Hindus be wilding out too, child. And do anyway. I said, do you know that? Anyways, but um, <laughs> I actually was thinking about it the other day of just like, there's such a breakdown of community and like what community care looks like. And it was funny, my students were talking to me, um, what was this? Probably three weeks ago, I like get um, breakfast with my mentees and stuff sometimes. And they were just like, yeah, Mr. Rich, like, Back in your day, I said, back in my day, um, (laughs) I'm 28. I said, child, what are you talking about? Like, what are we doing here? Who are you talking to? (laughs) Um, But they were just like, I feel like you always talk about, like, growing up and, like, you had neighbors who would talk to you and all this. And I'm saying, I was like, yes, because my neighbors actually hold me accountable. I could go and ask my neighbors for sugar. Like, I remember having to do that. And so I had, I was thinking around it as, like, because of there being a breakdown of community, because of yeah. there being the advent of social media and everybody's connected, but nobody's like physically feels tied or accountable to each other, that breakdown makes even restorative justice hard. Because I remember experiencing, I didn't have the language for it, because I said, oh, okay, Wella's about to throw the chancleta at me because I was running late to school and then she's trying to hold <laughs> me accountable. That's what's happening. Um, but in reality, that was her also holding me accountable. On our way to school, we would stop by our neighbor's house and say, are you ready? Are you going to be late? Whoop, whoop, whoop. Cool. If not, we're going to keep going. These mm-hmm. are ideas of building community and us feeling accountable to each other. My old neighborhood, I'm right here in North Philly. They're always just like, you want community ass nigga. I'm like, go to the stoop niggas and have a conversation. I go see the lady in the bodega. When um, things were happening, she was just like, well, just know this is what happened. And here's what you just need to know moving around the um, community moving forward. Some of the stupid niggas got in trouble. Da, 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 da. Walking down the street, I see Mr. Jim, Miss Sheila, um, Darren. Whenever there's conflict, we're able to just talk and be like, hey, I'm noticing this thing. Do you need help with anything? Or can we like navigate this? Now, granted, I am just a friendly neighborhood person. So <laughs> I like to know my neighbors because that's what I grew up on and that's how I know. And so just like, if I don't know my neighbors, I may not feel as safe in my community to navigate this conflict. And I've been in this neighborhood for five years. So I should at least be able to go to you if something were to happen. I don't know my neighbors. Um, I, I'll say this. I feel like the hood has a, a deep, deep sense of relationship. They know what's going on. They know people's families. They, mm-hmm. they In the hood, people know each other deeply generationally but they don't often have the tools to like do this conflict management and when you hear about these stories of folks going in i forgot the specific name but there's so many um occurrences of people that go in and disrupt i think there's a whole documentary called the disruptors where this Mm -hmm. woman goes in they call her like yo they about to pop off. She goes there directly to the person, talks them down. Yep. You know, because she knows them. She's trusted in the community. She knows who they about the, the beef that's been going on, talks mm-hmm. them down and de-escalates it and is wildly successful with it, which I don't know could happen in communities where in a suburban community where niggas don't really know, know each other. Know each other. Yeah. Well. And that's why I always argue um, in a very unofficial way, because I know I went to a conference and said this, and they said, what? And I said, people in the hood have been practicing restorative justice for the longest time. Sometimes it may not look like what you want it to look like. Yeah. And so they're just like, hey, for me growing up, it was just like, 
Kenny, you spit water at my brother. I did not like that. So me and you're going to duke this out. And then me and you're going to have this. And then we're going to go play games right after. Right? (laughs) And that's what happened. It didn't, it no longer happened again. He understood what the consequence was. And then we both apologized to each other and then said, you're going to go play Yu-Gi-Oh with us? Cool. Good. Let's move. But sometimes it goes too far. If you actually don't care about your neighbor, that's where restorative justice, I think, is its strongest piece is like it works successively when you are in community with the person because I see you for who you were before the conflict happened and I know the potential that you have and I care. If I'm not in community with you, if I don't care about you, I won't care to take that time to actually restore you either, right? So So then that leads into another question of mine. I'm going to it now. Hold, please. Holding. (sighs) Chris Brown. Yeah, cancel culture. Let's get into it. (laughs) Let's get into Chris. Um, hmm. Chris Brown is an interesting character because, again, right, repeat offender. I Mm -hmm. I learned. I went into this deep dive because I didn't. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. I I always think that it's associated with Rihanna, or maybe I forget. I don't know. But I didn't follow him and Karuchi very much or Mm -hmm. anything else after that. He was abusing her too. Yeah. She had restraining Mm -hmm. orders against him. Yeah, where um. I don't know if it was physical, but I know that she felt the need to get a five-year oh, restraining wow. order and he was still Good like her. hounding her and stuff. Or it's, Chris Brown is hard because again, repeat offender, but mm-hmm. that's celebrity, right? There's right. something about the celebrity where they're no longer human. We mm-hmm. we care about them. We care about them, but we don't really care about them. Thank unless you for entertaining like, me. <laughs> Right. Unless they're like Beyonce, you know, Biggie, like where we feel really deeply connected. We finna cry in the street if something happens to you. Mm -hmm. Um, And I wonder about him because sometimes I'm like, well, well, who we can't I can't wrap my arms around him and try to talk to him and offer him anything. Right. Right. So what does that collective restorative justice look like? Is it possible? And also like can we do it just based off the fact that he's a celebrity? He's not human. We don't we we don't care about him as much as we say we do. Mm. Jonathan Majors, right? Mm. Like these people that Puff we might Daddy. root for. Puff mm. Puffy. Even Monique at this point. Monique, yeah. child. Monique out here, she said fuck her son, her baby, her firstborn boy. Mm-hmm. Who really just wants a relationship with her that she has with quote unquote daddy? Yep, that's her. He really wants that acknowledgement and the respect that she gives him, mm-hmm. that she's giving to the other children. Yep. But you know, she doubles down and for for comedic purposes on a show because she she's too hurt to really to really humble herself and go at go get this boy yeah. and find him and get and not let it be public that you know. She says instead, fuck him. What do we do with that as a community? Is cancel culture like a perverted restorative justice? I think so. It's not restorative. Do we think it is? Like he's done. (laughs) I feel like there's a very strong overcorrection in an area where we were super permissive with all of this like very permissive behavior, right? Mm. Because we're trying to find like this balance of like what is morally just and y'all, this misogyny and this abuse has been happening for years decades centuries we know this all to be true and so cancel culture is the idea of like this public accountability now again for me i'm like 
cancel culture will ultimately shame a person into hiding, but I don't know if it will always necessarily incite the change that is necessary to prevent this from happening in the future. Because if the entire world continues to dogpile, 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 and project onto you what they think should be done, Mm. you completely take the person who was actually harmed out of the equation, and now you made it about you. Yeah, so I've been thinking about this a lot, because I was just like... Because we were still mad at Cassie when she got her quote-unquote justice that she wanted. Talk about it. We made it about us, right? Um, I was mad. Why you settle? Why you this? Why you that? Oh, you was out for the money. This is what I would have done. But you're not Cassie. You are not in that specific situation. And Mm. so for me, when I look at somebody like a Chris Brown, and if I really... If I really take it from like a very a deeper perspective and that requires just my own kind of work, I was like, I do feel like Chris Brown is some of the black Chris Brown's situation and inability to be redeemed is black men's biggest fear of being thrown away, which is why I think that we ride so hard for somebody like him. Right. No, I'm not going to say we, but, you know, just as black men in general, black people in general, because um, we do coddle black men, particularly in this space, because we all are just like, we still want to protect, but you're kind of trash. But we still don't think that you should be thrown away because we still empathize mm. with black men a lot more from like a general level. And so when I think around Ooh. this idea of like, well, Chris Brown publicly did this thing. If people are if everybody is unable to forgive Chris Brown for what he did and if Rihanna, quote unquote, forgave him and has moved on. Everybody else should too. But the reality is Chris Brown represents your neighbor. Chris Brown represents a father. Chris Brown represents a friend who did harm to you, right? And if that black person continues to see messaging like, oh, Chris Brown's irredeemable, this black man will also think that no matter what I do, I can no longer come back to society, which means do I even need to change if they're never going to allow the space for me to change or grow in order to become a better human and learn from this? And well, so see, be seen of where the deeper, what my root cause is for the harm in the first place. Right? Boom. Because the, rea- the reality is when my mom, she worked in a juvenile detention center um, and she says, I don't think you understand what all these boys are going through. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the hardest things because she was just like, yes, they have caused harm. But so many of these boys have experienced harm first and they're just replicating the only thing that they've ever known. And their children, so they are impressionable for this thing to happen. And I was like, nah, mom, because we ended up talking around like, R. Kelly doesn't exist without his sister doing what she did to him. And now he's replicating the exact same thing to other people. She's like, I now she's like, uh-uh, we get that nigga out of here, gotta go. And we, if we're able to really understand where did that where did that harm actually begin, and why did he end up replicating this thing? And that was hard for me because I'm just like very staunch, like. This is my lat. I do not, not at all. I said, mom. And she was just like, but I look at my job and she's just like, if I am not there to humanize these boys, they're either no longer going to be part of this world or they're just going to go back out and do the exact same thing. She's like, somebody needs to see humanity in order for them to want to change. And that was one of the hardest things that I ever heard my mom say, but she was in community with these children who looked to her to just be like, I came up from a real shitty situation. I am trying so hard to do better. And I it's it doesn't change overnight. But they did want to work towards change. And so I think Knowing that's that it the, was even possible for them to change. Sorry yeah. to cut you off. Yeah. No, you're good. But Chris Brown yeah. is showing us from a celebrity pop culture aspect that just sends messaging that, oh, change is actually not possible. 
right? Mm-hmm. Now, I think Chris Brown, again, I said repeat offender. So, like, I'm, okay, I'm going to use him as an outlier. But I do think because he's so widely known, there is a section of people who see that and just, like, but I messed up. Can I be forgiven? Yeah. It might not be to that extreme, but they don't know what restoration looks like from a public imagination standpoint. Can I even admit it, Jonathan Majors? Can <laughs> I even say the thing out loud? Mm-hmm. Will I be excited? It makes me think about The Wire. And it makes mm-hmm. me think about the humanity. Mm-hmm. That's why The Wire was so good. Mm-hmm. That there was the humanity causes. in every yeah. one yeah. of those characters. Yeah. And the only one that I'm like, now nah, I have nothing for him. I was he was compelling and interesting to watch was Marlo because I'm like we, we didn't know, know your backstory, backstory. Know your back- yeah, but yeah. had we known his backstory maybe it would have been different the compassion we have for Omar for Bubbles for all for Avon even for definitely for D'Angelo for even Bodie I fucking love Bodie but who ended up becoming the next Marlo girl what. Wasn't about? somebody set up to act the same way? What was he gonna anyway? I, I, I was out trying of the to children. Yeah, was like, oh, he's he's now placing himself. To, was it Michael or was Michael, no, Michael going to be? Michael was Omar. Mm-hmm. Michael Omar. was turning in Omar. He was robbing okay. drug dealers. I don't know if they set up another. Yeah. Anyway, um, yes, very good. Um, we are <laughs> over this time that we had. Yeah. <laughs> but this no, was you, you got to come back on so and chit chat. You better talk yeah. your shit. That you was know, really trying. good. I be trying. Thank you. <laughs> no, yeah. He was an immediate follow on social. I was like, what are you talking about? Follow. Marquise, where can people shit. learn more Wait. about you? Learn about your, uh, the, the um, what is it? Seminar that you have going on. If it's, I don't know if it's mm-hmm. ongoing, but well, tell the people. Yes. Um, so I'm Marquise Devon across all social media. Um, so that's M-A-R-Q-U. I-S-E-D-A-V-O-N. I'm the host of um, Keeping It A Bean Pod. So you can also follow that. Keeping, K-E-E-P-I-N-I-T-A-B-E-A-N pod. Uh, you know, I'd be, I was like, that'd be a mouthful to be doing. I said, spell it be champ, bro. We out here. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I'm usually in the Twitter streets. You'll see me. Good morning to niggas and niggas only every single morning. This is yes. our daily affirmation. Um, but I'm also... Mm-hmm. Out and about, you'll probably see me at different events around the city doing creative stuff and usually at nightlife stuff as well. So, simple person, most likely catch me in Uncle Bobby's just resting and chilling out. So, we Oh, here. shout out to Uncle okay, Bobby. Okay, Germantown. You in Germantown? I am. I'm right off of Temple's campus, actually. Okay, and then I'll be, I just take the like little 17 all the way up. So, yeah. I have some questions for you, though, before you go. Because mm-hmm. you are a first time guest friend. Not that yes. you won't be back, but I don't know that if you how long you've been listening to us. So we do have a rapid fire questions questionnaire for first guests. Oh, you know about this. Yes. Say the fuck less (laughs) rules. You know how this works. I'm going to read these joints and you need to answer in less than three minutes or three minutes in less than three seconds. Chate, I can hear you typing away. Ready? (laughs) Malcolm or Martin? Malcolm. Generational wealth or familial happiness? Familial happiness. Jay or Nas? Nas. Mac or Sephora? <laughs> Sephora. Palestine or Israel? Palestine. In the light or in the dark? In the light. Prince or Michael? Ooh, oh, Michael. Sweet or savory? Savory. Marriage or long-term commitment? Ooh, marriage. Trader Joe's or Whole Foods? Trader Hoes. 
<laughs> Voodoo or brown sugar? Brown sugar, yeah, easy. Family or career? Family. A seat at the table or lemonade? A seat at the table. Evolution or creationism? Evolution. Meg or Nikki? Meg. Nikki or Cardi? Cardi. Jalof or rice and peas? Rice and peas. Missionary or doggy? Ooh, hmm, I like a good missionary. Protection or pull out in prayer? (laughs) (laughs) On a tequila night or a regular day? That cracks every (laughs) fucking guest up. And you tell on yourselves every time. So protection or pull out in prayer, King? Yo! Look, he done took his glasses off. He can't see no more. Oh, my God. Nah, protection. We out here. <laughs> oh, he's talking about students. Is it Uchi Wally Wally or is it One Mike? One Mike. Love Jones or Jason's lyric? Oh, Jason's lyric. Sir or Rumi? Sir. Oh, wow. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lisa Bonet or Jason's lyric? What? Lisa Bonet or Nia Long? <laughs> Sorry. Nia Long. Bell Hooks or Audrey Lord? Audrey Lord. That's my girl. Make your make your partner a plate. Or have them get their own. That nigga's getting his own. Knock <laughs> <laughs> if you buck or Annie up. Knock if you buck. 9-11. Inside job or terrorist attack? Let's give an inside job. I'll be honest. Rihanna or Beyonce? Beyonce. Biggie or Pac? Pac. Erica or Jill? Jill. Brandy or Monica? Oh, Monica. I love Google. Angela Davis or Angela Rye? I hate that. Angela girl. Davis. Read the book or watch the movie? Read the book. Tony Morrison or Alice Walker? Ooh, Tony. That's my good sis. Mm -hmm. Flats or drums? Flats. SWV or escape? SWV. Travel back in time or travel forward in time? Forward. I ain't going back. Buy stocks or buy flights? Flights. Prove your point or pray for peace? I'm a Virgo. Prove my point. (laughs) Mm. Tricky yeah. country Beyonce or Renaissance Beyonce? Ooh, Renaissance Beyonce. All right, and finally, Love and Light or Money and Dicks? Um, love and Light. Thank you so thank so you much. so much. Oh man, thank you. I rocking with us on a I Thursday got an night. In my eye, Lord Jesus. Oh baby, I'm sorry. Uh, it's there. It was. The pull out done got you. It done got me. Because the lie, the <laughs> lie he told, that eyelash popped out like, oh. <laughs> oh, man. All right. We'll be sure to make sure to link everything and everybody check out the description so y'all can make sure that you follow Marquise. We'll add his Twitter. We'll add the podcast. We'll add all the things. Thank but thank you. you so much. Thank Not you. Thank you. I appreciate the work y'all do and everything that y'all do. I'm always like, Amazed at what I can learn on Monday mornings and Thursday mornings. That's when I listen Aww. on my commute to work. So thank y'all <laughs> as well. <laughs> thank you. You have just heard an Around Away Curls John. Follow them on Twitter at ATW Curls and Instagram at Around Away Curls. We out early. <laughs> Very good.